You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. To see you guys. You're just doing so great. It's great to see you. And um, I wanted to do something uh, a little unusual before I, I speak today. Um, today I met a couple people uh, in the parking lot and everything that's recently lost a loved one. And uh, maybe at Fenwick Island, there's, I know we just had a funeral there. And I just felt a shoulder tap from the Holy Spirit to just pray for the Lord to comfort people today before I preach. And um, maybe you're in that category. You've had a big change in your life. You've lost some somebody very significant. And I just want to take a moment and pray for you before we start. Is that okay? So let's just lift our hands and let's ask the Holy Spirit to bring comfort to people today. Lord, we pray for people at Fenwick Island, people at this campus right now that have recently lost someone very, very close to them. We, rem- we remember how you wept in front of Lazarus's tomb, your good friend, and you felt the pain of loss. And we thank you that you're a faithful high priest. Lord, you know exactly what we feel. And we ask you to help those that have lost a significant person in their life. Your word says that though the mountains uh, fall into the heart of the sea, that, Lord, you will be a refuge to your people. When there's these mega changes in our life, we're grateful that you're faithful to take care of us and take care of us by comfort. You are the God of comfort, you're the God of peace, and you're the God of love. And we just impart that to people this morning in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen and amen. Hey, listen, we're in a series called Building Blocks, um, and it's actually Building Blocks of Bayshore. We're talking about the, the vision of Bayshore, what we're about. So these, uh, these weeks in August, we're going to be talking about the importance of, uh, uh, of what our vision is. So you understand what we're about, what our objective is, and why we do what we do. And so uh, we just wanted to take a few weeks to kind of work on that this summer uh, before we get into the fall. I'm all excited about the fall. Last week, we talked about the importance of inviting people to church. Uh, our uh, big vision for Bayshore, one of the major building blocks, is that we are a church for the community to invite people that don't come to church, people that are sort of used to go to church, or people that went to church when they were growing up and it was awful and they just said they would never go to church again. But we're a church that wants to invite people. We talked last week about in Acts chapter 10 how Cornelius was uh, this guy that was a Roman soldier in the city of Caesarea, and he invited his relatives and his close friends and the house was filled when Peter came to preach them. We said our mission is not to strangers, but our mission is to people that we know. And uh, we talked about that. That's important. So hence, we have the invite cards that you have in your seat. You can take a bunch of these. There are a whole bunch of them in the, in the foyer. You can take these and kind of like, you know, uh, just have them in your pickup or in your car or in your briefcase and just hand them out to people as the Lord leads you. And uh, that's the important thing. And also the uh, yard signs. So today we're going to be talking about the second uh, building block of Bayshore. And that is what, what is it, what is our objective once we invite people to come to church and they come to Bayshore, what is our objective? What are we trying to do? Are we trying to say, oh gosh, we got this many people in church? Are we trying to say that, you know, hey, this, you know, we're, we're, we're growing as a church and all that, all that's important. But is, what is the objective of why we invite people to church? And why are you here? Why are you here? I remember when I was in uh, Bible college, we went to this wonderful church in Florida. 
And uh, I remember it was a big church, and our senior pastor was a great guy. And uh, I went to this, this funeral, or not a funeral, but a wedding one time, a uh, wedding in this little, uh, uh, little round building called the House of Prayer. And there was about 20 or 30 people there. And one of the staff pastors was, was doing the wedding. And our senior pastor of this big church, he was there. We were like, oh, wow, we're just honored to see uh, Brother Ken here today. And uh, we're sitting around before the wedding, one of those awkward science, uh, silent moments, and he said, uh, as we're all sitting there, does anybody know why we're here? And we all laughed. It was really funny. But I want to ask you the question, does anybody know why we're here? Why are we here? Why are we in church this morning? What is the objective? Well, the objective is not simply to you know, get people to heaven, to go to heaven one day. I, I recently, Karen and I, uh, took a trip to Orlando, and we flew uh, out of BWI, and uh, we flew on Spirit Airlines. Spirit Airlines. Has anybody ever flown on Spirit Airlines? You do it once, at least, you know? And, uh, you know, I got a good deal on Expedia, Spirit Airlines, a good deal, and, uh, you know, I know why it was a good deal now, you know? <laughs> Because you get there, and you know your carry-on, they allow you a carry-on the size of a tissue box. And then everything else you have to pay for. I mean, like $70 for a carry-on. I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't save any money at all. And uh, so anyhow, we're waiting. And then I found out, you know, that they're trying to get people not to go on the trip. They're saying, we'll give you $300, $500. And we found out we're like on standby. And I thought we would like had a ticket and we're standing there and they put everybody on the plane and Karen and I are standing there hoping we got people going to meet us in Orlando. We're supposed to be at this conference and, and finally they let us, you know, let us on and I was sitting way in the back by myself. Karen was sitting in a different section and all that. So it was one of those trips, you know, of Spirit Airlines. I was filled with the Spirit before I went, but not so much afterwards. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes we think that, you know, the purpose of church is to get your ticket to go to heaven. That, you know, we're just waiting. That this, this is a waiting room. That we have like, uh, you know, we, we got our self, you know, prayed the prayer and we asked the Lord to forgive us and he's forgiven us and we're waiting to see if we get on the flight to get to heaven. But I'm here to tell you that that is not the main objective of Bayshore. We want people to pray the prayer. We want them to put their faith in Jesus. We want them to ask the Lord to forgive them of their sins and make Jesus Lord of their life. But that is not the end of the objective. The objective is not to get to heaven. The objective is to be transformed. Now, here's the thing. We use this word. This is a word we use about our faith. We use the word Christian, that we are Christians. Uh, how many have ever, you know, identified yourself as a Christian? Just raise your hand if you're a, a person of faith. You've identified yourself as a Christian. And, you know, we say, are you a Christian? Or we talk to somebody and say, I think they were a Christian. Uh, you know, uh, we listened to this comedian recently, thought, I think he's a Christian. And uh, so we use that word Christian. Well, that's a good word, but it's not the best word for what we are. Uh, in fact, I don't know if you know this, the word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament. One, two, three. Three times. But the word disciple is used 269 times. So that means that, you know, maybe the word Christian, are you a Christian? That's okay. But maybe a better question would be, are you a disciple of Jesus? Because that's the word. That's the word that's used in the New Testament 269 times. A disciple is somebody 
that's following Jesus, like Peter, James, and John. You know, they left their fishing boat, and they followed Jesus every day, and they learned from Jesus. They learned what to do. They learned to do what Jesus did, and their lives were transformed. So the goal of Bayshore is to bring people into a transformative experience. The people that you invite to uh, come to uh, church, you know, we want them to pray the prayer. We want them to get saved. We want them to put their faith in Jesus. But we want them to be transformed. We want to see God change their life. Now, there's a great scripture in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This is a great scripture. By the way, Romans is like one of the best books you can ever read. I love the book of Romans. Romans, the book of Romans changed my life. I was raised in church. I was raised in church, went to church every Sunday. I didn't even really understand salvation until I was 22 years old. Been raised in church, and I was sitting in Bible college, and the preacher or the teacher is teaching on Romans 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. I'm saved not by what I do, but I'm saved by who Jesus is and what he's done for me. And it took me my whole life to figure that out. And how can you sit in church and miss that? But I missed it. But Romans is not simply about being forgiven. It then goes to chapter 12 where it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, give your life fully to the Lord. Give your life fully to the Lord. Give your life completely to the Lord, uh, which is holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed By the renewing of your mind, therefore you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will of God. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, your mind being renewed. God wants you to think differently than the world around you. God wants you to think differently than what you see on Netflix. God wants you to think differently than what you see on Hulu. God wants you to think differently from what you hear in in your university. Our mind needs to be renewed because there's a culture and there's an age that's completely antithetical to the things of God. And we want to have our minds renewed. We want to be changed. We want to be transformed. Now, the word where it says... uh, Uh, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transform is the word metamorphosis. And here's what it is. It's the same word used when Jesus went up with his disciples on the high mountain and he was transfigured before them. They were like Peter, James, and John were with Jesus and they were there on the mountain And then all of a sudden, Jesus was transformed in front of them. He was transfigured. He looked differently. His glory began to shine forth. His face shone like the sun, it says, and his his garments were whiter than any launderer could make his garments. And so they visibly saw a change in Jesus before their very eyes. When it says, do not be uh, conformed to this world, but be transformed, it's saying, our minds are to be renewed so your neighbor's and your family and the people that live with you see you visibly change in front of them because you become a different person because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we come to faith in Jesus, 
what we have to do is uh, there's nothing in Scripture at all that says that we can come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want you to save me. I want you to forgive me. And then, you know, you just stay there and I'm going to wait until I'll do my own thing until you come and take me to heaven. That's not at all the model of the New Testament. The model is, is that in the process of putting our faith in Jesus, the Lord begins to change us and transform us. Now, here's how we come to the Lord in our faith before the Lord. We come to the Lord, it says in Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he's been raised from the dead, you'll be saved. Say it with me. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So how do we come into the kingdom of God? We come in, the first step into the kingdom of God is to make Jesus Lord of our life. To make him Lord of our life. That means, in fact, Paul, when he would write a letter, book of Philippians, book of Ephesians, he said, Paul, a servant or a slave of Jesus Christ. That's how Paul identified himself. He was a slave or a servant of Jesus Christ. Jesus was his ultimate master. He surrendered his will to Jesus. The question is, can we really be a Christian Can we really be an authentic disciple of Jesus without Jesus being Lord of our life? I remember we were in Bible college one day, and we had this big debate about that. You know, could you just accept Jesus as Savior? Kind of like ask him forgive you and still do your own thing. Can you really be a Christian that way? Or does it require that you make Christ Lord of your life? Lord, I surrender my will. I surrender my future. I surrender my agenda. And I put you to be Lord of my life. You're the ultimate say in my life. Now, I think that that's what the New Testament teaches. Recently, I got off cable, cable TV. Now, the reason I got off cable TV uh, is, I, you know, I love TV. I got, you know, I think we got like 42 TVs in the house. I love TV, enjoy watching TV. And, uh, but the cable bill, and I'm not going to throw any cable company under the bus. I don't know who you have your cable with, but my cable went up to $250 a month. $250 a month from $170 a month. So I got the bill and I'm breathing in a brown paper bag. I'm just sucking in the bag, you know? I can't believe it. $250, it went up. What's that, $70, $80 in one month? What in the world? So I, I showed Karen and she's, she's breathing in a brown paper bag. We're both breathing in a brown paper bag. It's awful. So we said, we're getting it. We're, we, this is it. This is the end. We're quitting cable. Boy, we were scared. We were white knuckling it. You know, we had dry mouths. We were like afraid. And so we quit cable. Man, we quit it. We called them up. We're quitting in Jesus' name. <laughs> we're not going to do it anymore. We thought they were going to give us a hard time because we got these boxes. They said, you've got to bring the boxes in. And boy, we had to put the, take all the boxes in there. So, you know, of all of our TVs, we're taking the boxes into the cable company. And then we got Roku. Now, I don't know if you have Roku. But Roku was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful thing. 
How many have Roku? Do you have Roku? Isn't it amazing? You don't need cable. You don't need those people. Roku, $89. Buy the thing, plug it in, and it's amazing. And, and here's the thing about Roku. You know, I, got, I ordered all, one for each of our TVs. And you plug it in, and Roku takes over your TV. You plug it in, and then it says, you know, do you want to surrender your TV to the Roku uh, you know, remote control. And I stood there with sweaty palms wondering, <laughs> should I do it? And then I clicked it and it took over the TV. And all the apps are now under Roku. Everything, I click on Roku and all, every app, everything I watch on TV is under Roku. And I can't do anything unless Roku gives me the approval. And that's what it means to become a Christian. Jesus is our Roku. He takes over our life. He takes over all the apps of our life. He takes over our family. He takes over our business. He takes over our money. He takes over our sexuality. He takes over every part of our life because Jesus is to be the Lord of our life. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. Everybody say, Jesus is Lord. So the deal is we make Jesus Lord of our life and then the rest of our life we are being transformed to look like Jesus. So when you bring somebody to church, it's not to say, hey, come sit in our waiting room and wait to go to heaven, pray a prayer. You know you got fire insurance. You're not going to not gonna go to that other place. You're in good shape. Just come here and sit and wait. That is really, really bad theology. Because we are called to be disciples of Jesus. 269 times disciples. A disciple is someone that follows a master. Someone that learns. And so how do we do this? How do, if Jesus is to be Lord of our life, how does that work out in a practical way? How does that work out in a practical way? If Jesus is to be Lord of our life, how does that really work out in the real world? Well, here's how it works out. The word disciple has to do, it's the word mathetes, and it has to, it's like the word for math. It's to learn. So when you come to church, you should learn about the Bible. Because how can Jesus, here's how, here's how Jesus is Lord of our life. It's when we read the scriptures, the scriptures teach us how we're supposed to submit our lives to the specific things the Lord wants us to do. And we cannot have the lordship of Jesus without understanding his Bible, the word of God, and how that works in our marriages, how that works in our decisions, how that works in our life. So we are a church that believes in teaching the Bible so that people can be changed. Does that make sense? So when we teach the Bible... When you come on Sunday, when, when you bring your friends on Sunday, we're going to do some really, you know, wonderful things and encouraging things. But we're going to, a lot of times, we're going to like dive into what the Bible says. We're going to illustrate it so people can understand it. And they're going to listen week after week. And then they're going to work that out into their daily life. And that's what we're called to do. We're called not simply to make Christians. We're called to make disciples. Would you say it with me? We are called not simply to make Christians, but to make disciples. So the question I have to ask myself, the question we have to ask ourselves as we begin uh, talking about our vision is, are we a disciple of Jesus? Are we a disciple of Jesus? 
Are we letting Jesus rule our life because he loves us and he cares about us? In fact, listen to the, uh, the Great Commission in Matthew uh, 28, verses 16 through 20. This is where we get the idea of discipleship. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Listen to this. Therefore, go and make disciples. Make disciples, learners, people that are growing, people that are being changed. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, listen to this, to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you to the end of the age. When's the last time you used uh, the word obey to somebody? That's like, uh, I want you to obey me. Ooh, man, isn't that, that you know, I don't know when I've used that. I, I, would, you know, I would never say that to Karen. I want you to obey me. Boy, that would be bad, wouldn't it? You know, I'm not going to say that, you know. But, what, how, how, you know, that whole idea of obey, that means that, that we're surrendering our life to someone. And you say, well, that sounds a little dysfunctional. What does that mean? Well, it means a little bit like this. you got the lifeguard sitting there in, uh, on uh, Fenwick Island Beach or, you know, Fenwick Island uh, State Park or Bethany Beach. The lifeguard's sitting there, and, he, and you're out there swimming, and he sees, he sees a uh, riptide behind you, and he stands up, and he blows on the whistle, and he tells you to come in. Now, he's not suggesting for you to come in. He's saying, you better get your little tail in here right now. That's what he's saying. Or maybe he sees some dorsal fins back there that he knows aren't dolphins. And he's blowing the whistle. How many know the lifeguard is blowing the whistle not because he's on a power trip, but because he loves the person and cares about the person and he's trying to protect them? Every time the Lord says for you to obey him, every time the Lord has a command, every time he speaks to you and, he makes you make, and you've made him Lord and he tells you to do something, it's always because he loves you wonderfully and his obedience, call to obedience, is a loving, kind thing because he wants the very best for you. Say this, Jesus wants the best for me. So he wants me to obey him and listen to him, to make Jesus Lord of your life, master of your life. Because let's face it, when we run our own life, we just make a real mess of it. But when we make him Lord of our life, he can guide us and direct us, and he's kind. His call to obedience is filled with love. His call to obedience is filled with grace. His call to obedience is filled with mercy. And maybe you're listening to Femic Island right now, and you're thinking, you know, how does this obedience thing work? What does it really demonstrate how much God loves me? It certainly does. I remember once hearing this story about this little boy that, uh, you know, wanted to go visit his neighbor a couple blocks away, his little friend, and uh, they lived in the city. And the father had never let him go on his own before. He was a little worried about him. So he says to the boy, he says, you know, listen, I'm going to let you go. But as soon as you get there, I want you to call me because I want to know that you're okay. And so the, the little boy, he's so excited. First time he gets to walk to his neighbor's house by himself, and he goes there. And when he gets there, he gets play, and he's having a good time, and he forgets to call his dad. But his dad's waiting for him to call because his dad loves him so much. So the dad picks up the phone, and he calls the house, and he let it, lets it ring one time, and then he hangs it up. 
And a few moments later, the little boy calls back and said, hey, Dad, I just wanted to let you know I'm here. I'm here okay. And he said, something reminded me to call you. How many know that when Jesus is Lord over your life, it's best for us? And we have, this, we have this fantasy that we feel like if we run our life, if we rule our life, if we do our own thing, if we kind of like manage our own affairs, we're going to be better off. We're not going to be better off because he's a God who loves us. And it says Jesus is to be Lord of our life. And as we begin our journey with the Lord, we make him Lord of our life. And how does that work out? We learn the scriptures. We learn what the scriptures mean. We here at Bayshore at our Femigallon campus, here at Millsboro and Rehoboth campus, and everybody listening online, we're committed to teach the Bible, to teach the New Testament, teach the Old Testament, to see how it works in our everyday life so that the Holy Spirit can use that to transform us. How many have ever read the Bible when you read the Bible and all of a sudden the Lord shows you something you need to work on? That's why the book of James says that the Word of God, teaching the Bible, is like a mirror. You look at the mirror, and you don't simply look at the mirror, but you make adjustments from what you see in the mirror. Now, Karen says to me, you know, I shave in the shower, you know. Uh, I just, you know, shave my face and everything. I just shave. And, and sometimes, you know, I get these razors called hairy razors. Now, they're not hairy razors. They're razors made by Harry, and they come in the mail. And, and so I'll shave... And um, Karen will look at me and she'll say, you know, honey, you're, you're missing a lot there. You know, you got this little Hitler mustache going on here, you know, under your nose, you're not getting that very good. And she'll just say, you need to, you need to shave that a little better. And the other day I left a big streak right here, so you need to get that right. And she's always, you know, so today, you know, I'm like, I'm in the mirror, I'm trying to get all shaved up because I know Inspector 12 is going to check me out later, you know. <laughs> and... I make the adjustments. And the Holy Spirit, when you come to church and you invite your friends, sometimes the word's going to be so encouraging. Other times it's going to be challenging. But we're going to look at what the scripture says and we're going to see where we need to change in our life. See, the, the goal is transformation that we begin to look like Jesus as we grow in our faith. That's the ultimate goal. And it's not churches today, like, let's get more people in church and let's pack it out. So we got the biggest church and we got the biggest program. And we would obviously want to reach our community. Our community is growing. But that's not, that's a, that's a sub-level goal. The main goal is transformation that we change. I was in Texas a few weeks ago and I met this guy. I'd met him before, uh, named, uh, a guy named uh, Dalton Pisk. And he, uh, he's married to the daughter of uh, my best friend, one of my best friends, Sammy Fisher. And Dalton is an uh, electrician. He's been an electrician for five years. And Dalton, you know, he, he just loves his job. And uh, he is, he, he's been studying for five years to take his journeyman test to become a certified electrician. And so he's been working on that. And, uh, and every Thursday, what he does is every Thursday night, all of his buddies after work, they get in this big room, they got a big screen there, and they go through the, the test questions of, that it's going to be on the, uh, on, the, on the journeyman's test, on the amperage, amperage of things and the different codes. And he's learning all that. And then he learns about that on Thursday. And then he's back in the field on Friday working out what he learns. 
So he's, and he's, he told me, he said, Danny, he said, I'm getting ready to take my test on September 2nd. You ha- I had to have 8,000 hours of work under a certified electrician before I could take my journeyman's test. And he studies, and he's so excited about this, and he's really good at what he does. And he learns in his head about the amperage and the electricity and the wiring, but he works it out on his job. So the goal of our church is not for you to come, oh, we know a lot about the book of Deuteronomy. We know a lot of book about the book of Haggai. We know a lot about the book of Mark or the book of Ephesians or the book of Philippians. Oh, my gosh, we know a lot about that. That's not the goal. The goal is to learn the Scriptures, understand what the Scriptures are, and then the Holy Spirit helps us to apply what we see in the Scriptures. Now, you've heard me tell the story about the uh, guy named John Ogilvie. He was the uh, chaplain to the Senate, and I think it was in the 70s and 80s. He was also a Presbyterian minister in uh, Hollywood Presbyterian Church for like 20-some years. Great, great speaker, had this great deep voice. And he wrote a book called uh, Making Stress Work for You. And I read the book years ago. It was a good book. But I remember, all I remember about the book is a, is a story. And the story he told in the book, in the beginning of the book, was about the hunchback prince that was one day going to be king of this kingdom, and he had a deformity. And so the hunchback prince you know, he, he was kind of bent over and all deformed, and the people of the kingdom were so kind of heartbroken that one day this deformed prince was going to be their king. He was heartbroken too. So he had the, the royal sculptor make a statue of him standing upright, and he decided every day he'd go to that statue which represented what he was going, what he wanted to look like. And every day he would put himself up to that statue and he would try to straighten himself up to look like the statue. And one day, after months and months of doing this, he could feel the cold marble touching his shoulder blades as he had stood up to become upright like the statue. When you read the Bible, you get a picture of Jesus, what Jesus is supposed to be like. And we're deformed. We're broken from the fall. We've been redeemed and forgiven. But we are called by God to be transformed and to look like Jesus. And it's a process. And the problem with that illustration, there's a weakness in that illustration. The weakness of that illustration is the hunchback prince did it all by self-effort. And we don't have to do it simply by self-effort. The Holy Spirit helps us. Let me give you one more scripture to finish out today. This is one of my favorite scriptures in the New Testament. It's in the book of Philippians, and it's the end of the book, end of chapter 2. And it says this in Philippians chapter 2. I'm coming to it right now. Here it is, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation. The word salvation there is the word deliverance. To be, when we think of salvation, our idea is salvation, freed from sin, going to heaven. Salvation is, the word doesn't mean that. This, the word salvation means to be delivered or liberated. We're to be delivered and liberated from our bondage of our past, our habits and all the bad things we did. Work out your salvation 
with fear and trembling. And then it says in verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. So is it you or is it God? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. It seems like a contradiction. It's both. Our change is dualistic. That means that God works in our life, but we are partners in discipline. The word disciple, listen to this. The word disciple has in it the word discipline. So how am I going to change? How am I going to look more like Jesus? Well, I'm going to I'm going to come to church regularly, and I'm going to get in a small group What's going to be starting in the fall. We're going to have small groups in Fenwick Island and in this campus and the Rehoboth campus, of course. I'm going to go to a small group, and I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be accountable to people. I'm going to be consistent. So we're working out our salvation. That's how we change. And then it's God who works in us. Or Robert says, without me, uh, it says, without God, I cannot do it. Without me, God will not do it. So it's a partnership. So we can't be passive. I used to preach this and teach this. Hey, listen, the Lord's going to change you. The Lord's going to change you. Just sit back in your lazy boy. The Lord's going to change you. Be passive. The Lord's going to take care of it. He's going to change you. can't change yourself. Well, it's true we can't change ourselves. But this scripture says that we are to work out our salvation with very tremble. We're supposed to do stuff too in order to change. Yesterday I was riding... My bike, uh, Karen had a thing with her high school friends, and so I had the whole morning, you know, uh, to do something. So I went, I rode the, the, the Georgetown Lewis Trail on my bike, uh, my Trek bike, and I just love riding trails. So I'm riding, uh, you know, if the Lewis-Georgetown Trail starts in, you know, midway on Route 9 now. And it's about, it took me about 38 minutes to get to uh, the Lewis Library, and then I did the Breakwater Trail that goes into Rehoboth. I was headed to, to Rise Up Coffee to get some coffee. And so I'm riding, and I'm about 52 minutes into my ride, and the trail was kind of busy. There's a lot going on. And then all of a sudden, I was coming up to one of those little bridges on the Breakwater Trail where it goes over the, the wetlands. If you've done those trails, you know where that is, and I was getting ready to cross those. That, and then somebody passed me on an e-bike. And um, they were like one of those little e-bikes, you know, that they, and, and they were pulling a little trailer. They weren't pedaling. They would just had the little throttle thing. And I'm just, I'm here to tell you this from my heart. Um, what I, I, I tell you what, I believe that that should not be allowed on those trails. <laughs> I think there's, I'm not against e-bikes in general, but I think the trails are for people that are peddling. And that's just my feelings. And if I ever run for political office, that's going to be the platform that I'm going to run on. <laughs> there should not be no e-bikes on the trails. So 52 minutes, I'm sweating I'm tired, I'm pumping, and somebody goes by, and I have to say, it didn't look like they were in the best of shape. They were just kind of going on with that thing. <laughs> and, you know, they weren't doing any peddling. In order to be transformed, it is not passive. It's actively peddling. It's actively, you're saved by grace, but you're transformed by the Holy Spirit working in you with your discipline. And we need to become, if anything has happened, and I think the Lord's reforming churches across America after COVID, I think he's raising up a whole new brand of Christians in our community. I think he's raising up a whole new brand of people that are following Jesus, people that are serious about their commitment to Christ, committed to Jesus, but want to be transformed by the power of the Lord. So it's not, it's not passive, 
it's active. And so our goal as a church, our goal as a church is to make sure that we together invite people to church. And when we invite them to church, we call people to make Jesus Lord of their life and then to systematically listen to the word, hear and understand the word like the electrician learns the code of the code book for electricity and then work it out in our daily lives. And that's what our mission is. That's what our mission is. The good news is, is how you look now. How you look now. There's been some amazing changes in your life. But we have not yet seen what you're going to be as you discipline yourself, the kind of husband you'll be, the kind of wife you'll be, the kind of friend you'll be, the kind of citizen you'll be as the Holy Spirit works in you. And people begin to say, boy, there's a, there's a visible change in that person. They're different. So say this as we end this message. Say this with me. We are called to make Christ Lord and to enter into a process of being transformed. Lift your hands to the Lord right now. I want you to invite the Lord to change you, to make you different. Some of you are struggling in your marriage a little bit, and the Lord's going to change and transform you by the work of his word. It's, you know, you study the word, you grow in your faith, and the problems you're having, some are going to fall by the wayside because of the transformation power of Jesus. God's transforming you so that this community can be transformed, so that our towns around us can be transformed. We can be transformed by the power of Jesus. Now, Jesus, we make you Lord of our life. We remind you and remind ourselves today that, Lord, we've been living our life independently of you, and, Lord, we submit, we bow our knee before you to commit ourselves fully to you. And we make you Lord of our life. If there's anybody here this morning has not made you Lord of their life, we pray that this morning that they'll begin that journey. It's just the beginning today as they call upon you and say, Lord, save me, forgive me my sins. I make you Lord of my life. If you're here this morning, you've never done that. I don't need to tell you what to say. You need to just say, Jesus, be my Lord. I messed up my life. I need you. I'm empty. And I make you Lord of my life. And I begin this day to follow you. Father God, we ask in Jesus' name for you to work in our community. Use our church as having long arms to reach in and grab people in our community and bring them in so that they can be transformed by Jesus' power. We thank you for your love and your mercy in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.